This episode was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of writers and actors, this film wouldn't exist. We stand in solidarity with those striking. Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode, and of course, beware of spoilers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. And we're here on our bi-weekly mission to cover all things horror, and I just realized now that I just overpromised some things horror. Sometimes we can't possibly cover it all, but we do try our very best. Yeah, and you A know for what? Effort. Gold star. We yeah. get gold stars. Yeah, and you know what? This is no different because in this particular instance, we are covering a horror movie that neither of us wanted to do, <laughs> but we're doing it anyways because we, your loyal podcast makers, <laughs> want to give you a variety. Yes, of content. We want to give you. Movies that we like, movies that we can discuss. And we also want to do movies that we don't like. Because you know what? It's challenging and it's fun to dissect them. Yeah. Well, it's fun to kind of test our own assumptions or preconceived notions. It hasn't happened yet, but um, there have been a couple of movies that we've done that I think both of us, initially we had seen before and we did not like. And we're like, let's watch it for the podcast and see if... And our older, wiser, analytical selves, our opinions have changed. Spoiler alert, they have not. There was one time, and the only time was Midsummer. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. That, you're right. You're right. But that yeah. was the only time. Yeah. And in this particular instance, our opinions did not change, though. Yeah. Because we we're talking about House of a Thousand Corpses, and we can hear the collective screams and groans of Rob Zombie fans all over the world mm -hmm. hollering at us and throwing Rotten Tomatoes and cursing our names. But listen, we don't like Rob Zombie movies. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. I really want to like them. You know what? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll caveat. I'll disclaimer our episode about House of a Thousand Corpses. I listen to Rob Zombie's music. Yeah. I enjoy his music. Yeah. I've seen him live in concert. I thought his concert experience was insane. I yeah. loved it. I don't like his films. I will even say that I appreciate what he does as an advocate for the genre. Yes. He has done a lot for the genre. He has done big and small things, you know, kind of quietly and behind the scenes that work toward the good of the genre overall. And I appreciate him for it. I just don't like his movies. Yeah. Yep. And that's okay. We don't all have to like everything. That's true. And you know what? No shade to anybody who does enjoy the work of Rob Zombie. Sure. Totally cool. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to yuck anybody's yum. But I have not seen this movie in 20 years. Yeah. I just have never made the choice to pick it back up. I watched it when I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. At the time of this recording, it's literally the day after my 33rd birthday. So it was a long time. No, I was 14 because it, it would have had to have been the year after. And it was on HBO. And my best friend's mom, I'm going to tell this story. So my best friend's mom was in the recliner and she had fallen asleep on top of the remote. Her dad worked at Time Warner. So he, they had like the best cable package ever. 
but we couldn't get to the remote to change the cable channel. The cable box was out of the way, so we couldn't touch it. And so after whatever we were watching, which may or may not have been Queen of the Damned, because we watched the <laughs> shit out of that movie back in the day, House of a Thousand Corpses just rolled on on HBO, and we couldn't turn it off. Oh, so you were just... Just happened at me. Yeah. It happened to me. Oof. So I was like 14 years old, and this was a sleepover. And then after that, a porn came on, because it was like late night HBO, right? Mm-hmm. It's like in this like shag and wagon VW and they're like having sex, like cutscenes of all the sex, like all over the van. And me and my best friend were like, ew, this is gross. <laughs> and her mom like wakes up and looks at the TV and squints at it. And she's like, people don't make sounds like that when they have sex. And then she passes back out. And that was it. <laughs> she did give us the remote, though. So we weren't subjected to any further porn. Okay. <laughs> so... That is my story of watching <laughs> House of a Thousand Corpses for the first time. And I didn't like it then, although I didn't know who Albert Fish was. Uh-huh. So, you know, cue me looking it up on their computer and being like, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. And then sort of kindling the whole true crime obsession for me. That makes sense. Between that and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. It was over for your girl. I was never the same. <laughs> But I never picked it up after that because I was like, meh, this is not a formative movie for me. I don't necessarily need to watch it again. And subsequently, I did see the Rob Zombie version of Halloween and Halloween 2. And I saw the third movie in the series, which the name is escaping me. Three from Hell. Three from Hell. I saw Three from Hell with you. Didn't like it at all. Yeah. And I've just never chosen to see any of his other movies. Never watched Lords of Salem. Never watched 31. I don't think I was at Three from Hell. That's right. That's right. I wasn't there. Yeah. I saw it with your partner. Yeah. It was like one of those special events. Yeah. I think I was like really sick that night where it was like, I think I was driving us there and I like couldn't stop coughing. And I was like, everybody's, and this was obviously pre-COVID, but I was like, everybody's going to hate me if I'm just like hacking and coughing through this movie. So I think I just dropped him off. And, and went home and like slept or something. And it was so weird because the whole theater was packed. It was like a special presentation because there was like a Q&A beforehand, I think, mm-hmm. or, or some sort of like special thing before and after. And we bounced for the after because it was so awful. We yeah. were just like, meh. But I was very excited to have to sit and pay attention to this movie this time and not like have it happen at me mm-hmm. and try to ignore it and think critically about it and i mean it's 20 years later like who knows i might watch it again and be like oh that's actually hysterical spoiler alert it wasn't yeah exactly sorry y'all but not sorry yeah also sorry but not sorry it's the name of this episode (laughs) so i first saw this movie i think right after it came out on dvd because i worked at a record store that also sold used dvds and like this was the type of movie that like was getting a lot of buzz you know it was like Mm -hmm. good or bad it was getting a lot of buzz and a lot of people were coming in looking for it when it came out and so i think i just like grabbed it from work one night and was like well i want to see what people are talking about and i was thoroughly unimpressed at the time you know not my thing and i'll get into the things that i actually do like about this movie and then i've not watched it in full since then i've seen bits and pieces obviously you can see the captain spaulding scenes like you know in any horror montage or clip show or something like that they kind of pop up and over the years i think 
my partner who kind of has the same feeling about Rob Zombie movies that I do will occasionally like do the thing where he's like, I'm going to put it on and see if my opinion has changed. And I won't actually watch it, but like it'll be on in the house and I'll kind of walk in and out and scenes will be on. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I missed Three from Hell in the theater. I don't think I saw Devil's Rejects in the theater, though I've seen it. I saw both the Halloweens <laughs> in the theater. There's feelings there, too. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about Rob Zombie's Halloweens. And then I saw the super limited thing he did, I think, before Three from Hell, which was 31. Oh, okay. Not to be confused. I think that's what it was called. Not to be confused with the indie film. Right. Uh, it was some kind of weird, like, one day only he was going to put it out on Halloween. And it, like so many of his films, had a really great concept and was visually very good, but made no sense. Mm-hmm. And I remember both my partner and I being like, wow, that was a really good idea. Too bad <laughs> that it didn't uh, <laughs> didn't really work out on the screen. Have you seen Lords of Salem? Yeah, I'm okay. sure I have. <laughs> I haven't seen that one either. But I've heard good things about it. People saying like, you know, if you don't typically like a Rob Zombie movie, maybe try that one. I've never seen it. So I can't speak to that one. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I I say that, but as a fan of the genre, I'll get to it at some point probably. But it's not something I'm going to like, you know, I have a free day tomorrow. I'm not going to be like, I'm going to put on Lords of Salem. Like, (laughs) no, no. So I think... It's probably best for me anyways to get into what I don't like about the movie and then kind of like transition into what I do like about the movie. Because for as much as I say that I don't like this film, there are several redeeming qualities Mm -hmm. that you and I talked about while we were watching it. And I really do think that there are aspects of Rob Zombie's filmmaking and sort of how his mind works while he's making a movie that are really cool and very redeemable and also if he had maybe a different team of folks Mm -hmm. not even necessarily actors yeah but like a different creative team or production team Mm -hmm. that it might go a little bit further and really make the blockbuster film that he's looking for yeah this is not it no preface this by saying also this movie came out in 2003 was filmed in 2000 yeah it didn't come out until 2003 yeah However, the use of the R slur and also like showing people who have physical like deformities on screen and making them like silly cartoon characters, I'm not down with it. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel like it's fun. It's always punching down. Yeah. And for somebody with as much money and influence and access to creative communities that Rob Zombie and his wife have, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah. That's like my number one thing that I'm like, Bleh. it just immediately turns me off of a movie. If I'm like, oh, cool, we're just going to casually sling around the R word and also like have this, you know, in this particular instance, the actor had acromegaly. It's like a pituitary gland issue and unfortunately it makes him grow really tall but at the same time it also makes his bones really brittle Mm -hmm. and they can have a really short lifespan which unfortunately this actor did have a really short lifespan and died at 32 very shortly after this movie was made it just doesn't make me feel good like if it happened in conjunction with like advocacy like hey we know 
this is really gross. And we're also donating money to these Mm -hmm. organizations or we're working to help people. That'd be one thing. Yeah. This is not that. No. And unfortunately, that was still, you know, especially the sort of flagrant use of the Arsler was still very much acceptable writ large in society and in movies and especially among like I think people who would be of the kind of demographic that this film was aimed at you know sort of younger folks who you know aren't shying away from other things that polite society might deem inappropriate that was still considered like a you know kind of a Hey, well, we can we can say it and we can use it both as a slur and as an insult for our friends, you know, kind of like the same way that people even used, you know, the word gay mm-hmm. as a slur and an insult and things like that around that same time, too. That said, it is like within the first three minutes of the movie. It's just like right there. And it's incongruous with the rest of the movie. Right. I, th- I think that's the other part that makes me feel so weird about it. Is there's this whole beginning scene with Sid Haig, which may he rest in peace. I actually love Sid Haig. He was always uh, oh such, yeah, he's wonderful in it. He's such a sweet man in real life too. I met him one time, the first time we all went to Horror Hound together. I met him then. Nice. He, he was not his health was declining at that point, but mm-hmm. very cool, very sweet man. Every person I've ever heard of that had an interaction with him had a great interaction, and mm-hmm. they loved him so much. But in this movie, it's right off the rip. It's like within the first couple seconds of dialogue, after we get that cool clip of Dr. Wolfenstein and his little horror host thing, it cuts directly to Sid Haig saying all of this shit. And it's just supposed to be inflammatory. Right. And that immediately set me on edge where I'm like, why do I like this? The dialogue in this scene is atrocious. Yeah. And it doesn't, there are parts where the dialogue is also that bad later in the movie, but Overall, it's not like that. The rest of the movie doesn't really follow in those same footsteps. Right. So it's very strange to me Mm -hmm. that Rob Zombie would want to start out with that dialogue. Multiple times. It's not even just one time. It's multiple times. Yeah. It's just really odd to just start the movie out like that because then in later scenes, we don't have that same sort of dialogue. We still have some foul language, but it's not anything like that. And the interesting thing is... That I think that became his signature. This was his first feature film. And moving forward from here, that style of dialogue, he would become known for it. Just this like filthy with a Texas accent, you know, every other word is a profanity. I had said while we were watching it, I was like, man, if we were playing a drinking game, we would be dead before the, you know, title card comes up. Absolutely. You know, it it makes no sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Every other movie that he's ever done follows in those same footsteps, and I just can't get around it. Yeah. Like, I can't think of another movie that just has that foul of language just to do it. Right. Not even, like, movies that have scenes, short scenes, with that sort of foul language. Mm-hmm. I guess the only other movie I could think of would be Django Unchained, but that's a different... Yeah. It's a different... A little different... Because there's other problematic issues with that. Yeah. But also, it's not just like foul dialogue. Right. You know, not the entire time anyways. I don't know. I just don't understand the appeal of that. Mm -mm. Because they're not saying anything. Exactly. Yeah. We're not being prudes here. Because 
I think we both use our, you know, use a significant yes. amount of colorful language, you know, in our day-to-day speech. Yeah. But it's always as kind of an accent or or a way to emphasize a point. And there's something to say. And I don't even mind it. I, you know, I have no problem when people do it in movies. And I, and I always say in music, like, you know, it's not my rules. It's the FCC's rules in terms right. of what has to be censored. But it also, like, whether it's a song or dialogue, like, it has to be in service of saying something. Yeah. And these instances are not saying anything. Yeah. Like, the instance where Sid Haig drops the R slur is because they're talking about somebody else who's off screen. That is inconsequential to the entire movie. Right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. that person never shows up. He mm-hmm. never is a part of the movie. Mm-hmm. They just, like, talk shit about this guy relentlessly back and forth and they say a bunch of foul stuff and then that's it right then after you know we cut to rain wilson and the motley group of kids who are eventually going to be murdered of course after that we cut back to sid haig you know the kids go to captain spaulding's and Mm -hmm. they interact with him and he does have some foul language but it's like an iota of what it was before right and it makes sense it's like oh he's just a foul mouth you know gas station operator he's out here in the middle of the night he doesn't give a shit about these kids he's not going to be kind to them he doesn't care it's not even attached to the beginning of the movie it doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. in line with that it's almost like two different characters yeah and you know if you want to get really meta about it with the writing you know maybe that is the point of it is like you have this guy who to the stranded kids is yeah still a little eccentric and still a little off but is capable of snapping and becoming this like you know kind of deranged cold-blooded murderer i mean i think that's what he was trying to say with this Mm -hmm. but i just i don't know i feel like there's a more artful way to do it yeah yeah i would agree and the version of captain spaulding that happens to these kids and the murder ride and all that i actually really enjoyed it Oh, I loved that. Yeah. That scene is great. Perfect example of a weird roadside attraction, which is exactly what these kids are looking for. Stupid kids asking stupid questions and and getting stupid answers in reply. Mm -hmm. And then they go to this weird tour and they're like, okay, well, that's it. I love that. Picking up the hitchhiker who ends up being a deranged part of a family. Full Texas chainsaw right there. Oh, yeah. We said this so many times. This is essentially... A Texas Chainsaw ripoff. And maybe you could say it's inspired heavily by Texas Chainsaw. Perhaps that is the way to say it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's a very generous way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, in- inspired heavily by that. But up until that point, that's a really cool scene. That sequence is really cool. You get some really cool shots and set design in the murder ride and with Captain Spaulding in there. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. After that. It goes off the rails a little bit. Oh, yeah. It goes off the rails a lot, in my opinion. We did say that this movie is a Rob Zombie Western, so yeah. just keep that in mind. It kind of is, though. Like, Have you ever seen Bone Tomahawk with Kurt Russell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like that, sort of like a you know stolen person, like trying to escape type thing. Similar, not exactly the same. But it's like a Western, except with like a weird family. Yeah. Kind of. I'm like trying to justify that in my head. Maybe only because it's set in the West. There's like (laughs) deserts around or whatever. Western, Western Western-ish. I have no idea where it's actually set. There's 
rain. There's like a monsoon, a weird monsoon that happens, but then it's like dry and dusty afterwards. Maybe they explain it more in Devil's Rejects. I also wanted to know if you thought that the Dr. Wolfenstein scenes were the best part of the movie. I mean, as a horror host fan, kind of. Yeah, they're uh, they're <laughs> really fun and they're really well done. And it's hilarious because you can tell that there's so much effort put into those. Yeah. And it's a fake horror host. Yeah, there's so much real. care put into the fake horror host. I kind of love it. And they never even show anybody like watching the fake horror yeah. host. It's just like these weird interspersed clips. Yeah. So probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, he's great. Love him. You know, there were fake horror hosts like Count Floyd in SCTV. There's a fake horror host in The Munsters, mm -hmm. you know. I think Rob Zombie is both drawing on the history of horror hosting itself and also like the kind of like fun twist of having the fake horror host as part of the thing. And that's where I have to say like there are so many things in this movie where it's like you can tell he loves the genre. Yeah. Like he has a great love for it. There are little Easter egg shots throughout that are definitely homages to different films. I would never say like, oh, he's just trying to make a horror film to like cash in on a horror trend. Like, I, I don't believe that at all. Like, he legitimately loves this genre. You know, it's just the execution of it is a whole other thing. Yeah, I will say that even though I don't have a taste for this movie, you can tell that it's made with heart. Yeah, definitely. That he really cared about it. Mm -hmm. And I know that the production of the movie took a really long time. Yeah. So that's another thing. I always feel like movies that take an inordinate amount of time to go from like shooting to finished product show that the person is really loves it. Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, he had to go through three different distribution companies just to get it out to mm -hmm. people. And he certainly could have at any point just been like, well screw it you know but yeah. he, he cared enough to get it out to people so outside of the dialogue another aspect of the movie that i don't care for is the crazy family trope mm -hmm. of like oh well we're gonna kidnap these kids and then show them torturing them yeah you know for seemingly no reason there's really no reason to do the things that they're doing right granted i know that there's a big part of horror where that happens mm -hmm. i mean the house of wax remake hills have eyes yeah you know but Lynch in general a lot of and i don't actually like those movies very much yeah the house of wax one is the one exception it's so weird and bizarre i love it <laughs> but just the torture thing i'm not down with i just don't have a taste for it and i watch a lot of really bad horror movies a lot of really good horror movies. And generally, I'm like, well, I'll try anything once. But yeah. that sort of specific brand of like grimy torture really gets under my skin. So I just, I'm just like, meh, I don't really need to watch that. What is there to say here? What, what right. Are, and not that all horror has to ha even have no. something to say. But what are we doing? Right. Where are we getting to? Yeah, I think for some people... The frightening thing is the lack of motivation. But for me, that's the frustrating thing mm -hmm. with movies like that. And I can see how it would be very frightening. Like, oh, there's this weird family and they kidnap and torture people just to do it. And that's terrifying because, you know, if you have a reason, then maybe I can understand. But if you have no reason, then you're just whatever. I need a reason. Yeah. <laughs> As a viewer, I need a reason. I don't find it any scarier than anything else. Um, yeah. And if that's like what scares you, again, like, great if that's a movie for you, but it's not for me. 
I think being a femme presenting person, my head is constantly on a swivel. So it's no more scary to me to watch a movie like that than just to pump gas at night. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I know I'm oversimplifying things. There's a lot of other factors that go into that. But as a person who grew up in the late 90s and early 2000s, you were taught as a femme presenting person. You're you never ha- safe. Yeah. You have to watch out for yourself. Right. You don't get the luxury of being able to wander into a strange gas station and go th- on this murder ride in the middle of the night and then feel comfortable picking up a hitchhiker. Right. And driving her to the, her house and also like, you know, being inside specifically because of movies and media and actual happenings that happened during that that mm-hmm. period of time. So to me, I'm just like, oh, this is not scary. This is like regular. Like I would never, would never find myself in this situation. Right. Even accidentally. Right. Yeah. I'd be like, no, I'm calling triple A things. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that that's just where like the disconnect is for me. I'm like, I can never see myself. This is not a situation where it's like, it could happen to anyone. Right. It's like, no, yeah. there was a specific set of decisions that wound up here and it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah, no, I get it. I totally get it. I have to keep prefacing that because I know that there's a huge amount of people who like this movie a lot. Yeah, totally. And there are several reasons to actually like this movie. There are. Yeah. In my opinion, the plot is just not one of them. Yeah, I completely agree. Another thing that I actually really like about this movie, the casting, I think is very good. Yeah. I think Baby Rain Wilson is amazing. Mm -hmm. Bill Mosley Bill Mosley's fantastic. Like, yeah. he's great in everything. And honestly, like, he is the one person of any of them, I mean, Sid Haig aside, too, who can make the characters feel believable mm-hmm. in this. Like, and part of it is that Bill Mosley has played this character before. I mean, he's essentially playing another iteration of Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw 2. But, like, some of the actors feel like parodies. Mm-hmm. And Bill Mosley feels like, legit the real deal you know and i think this role just works with his strengths as an actor and yeah he's great and and same with sid Haig, honestly yeah i mean sid Haig is great as captain spaulding he really nails it it's hard to see him in other movies and be like yeah okay that's oh wait that's sid Haig, not captain spaulding like <laughs> yeah. it really is like he's almost one and the same like synonymous not that he's like that in person but that's going to be the thing that people remember him for forever. Yeah. And he is proud of that. He is proud Mm -hmm. of his portrayal. And that is the thing that got him back into acting. You know, he kind of had like a bell curve of acting where he was very active in the seventies and eighties. And then it it kind of died down. And then he came back with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. Good on Rob Zombie for bringing him back. Totally. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I also am not a fan of Sherry Moon. Mm hmm. All of Rob Zombie's films, all of his music videos, the concert I saw him do, it really feels like he's trying to create a career for his wife. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, good on him. (laughs) And and I'm glad that he's so proud that he wants to put her into everything Mm -hmm. that he, everything that he touches creatively, he wants her to be a part of. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I really like that idea. And there are a lot of people in Hollywood who do that. Yeah. You know, directors who put their wives in everything. Freaking Mike Flanagan puts Katie yeah. Siegel in everything. James Gunn now, his wife is uh-huh. in pretty much everything that he's done. But I just don't have a taste for Sherry Moon. Like, I just hate the characters that she plays. I know that in real life she's not anything like that. Yeah. 
I just can't stand a single character that she plays. And it's really hard for me to separate her from like Sherry Moon's character that she always plays from her as a person. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I just end up being like, ah, I just don't like it. I just yeah. don't like it. And it's so tough because I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, even if I didn't like him as this thing, I'll watch something else. She only plays that though. Yeah, and I think unfortunately Halloween 2 really, that was the most egregious example of the way he inserts her into his work. And I think that a lot of folks were a lot more forgiving with her roles in his films until Halloween 2 when it became so blatantly obvious what he was doing. (laughs) I can't remember what my opinion was when I first saw this, but I feel like my opinion of not even Sherry Moon, I'll say Rob Zombie's use of Sherry Moon in movies is completely colored by Halloween too. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. It's so hard to look past the performance and then the real life, the fact that like, hey, Halloween 2 she had no business being in this movie. Right. Like there was very little, I mean, Halloween 2 feelings aside outside of just her performance. It's so difficult to say, okay, that made sense. Right. Like how does this make sense in the Halloween world? Yeah. And then you're just like, well, she shouldn't have been in it otherwise. She wouldn't have been in it otherwise. So why are we having this weird horse situation? <laughs> It's so weird. Whenever we cover Halloween 2, the title of the episode will be Weird Horse Situation. <laughs> it's going to bookmark that for later. Everyone will know exactly what we're talking about. Uh-huh. If you've seen it, you know. Yeah, right. But I mean, okay, we're talking about the pros for this movie. Let's talk about the visuals. Because visually, this movie has a lot going for it. Oh my gosh, yeah. It is amazing. The sets, you pointed it out. At the beginning where the murder right is, the neon there. It's gorgeous. It's so much to view. Mm-hmm. It's colorful. It's interesting. The lighting is great. Watch Rob Zombie's music videos and you'll kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. Because his music videos are stylistically very similar yeah. to this movie. Only they're three and a half minutes long, you know? But yeah, you're right. Like, set design, good. Yeah, Yeah, set design, excellent. And there's so much to look at. And honestly, like, I feel like the visuals and the set design are part of the reason this movie was so disappointing to me. Because even in like the very, very beginning, I'm like, okay, this movie has a weird roadside museum. It's got like kind of a freak show vibe. It's got a dark ride. It's got like a weird, like kind of screwed up burlesque vaudeville show in the middle of it. I'm like, these are all the things I like, right? But I don't like this movie. Yeah. You know, and so I think because it felt like this should have been a movie for me and it just wasn't a movie for me. It was like all the more disappointing because I was just like, but I like these things. Yeah. I like horror hosts and and weird Halloweeny rides and all, and all that stuff. Like it's all stuff I actively seek out in my day to day life. But the story couldn't support those elements. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I totally would go and ride this murder ride. Oh yeah, I would seek out Captain Spaulding's weird chicken. <laughs> I would 
totally go visit a weird museum. I have visited weird museums yeah. in the past. I have sought out, uh, my partner and I sought out like this really weird, like Halloween themed dark ride in like rural Pennsylvania. It's amazing. It's called The Devil's Den. Unfortunately, I don't think it's there anymore, but it's super cool. Sorry about that. Coney at Lake Park. <laughs> so all very cool things. Visually super cool. Even some of the cutscenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have Betty Page. You have like weird 16 millimeter, like strange stuff that Rob Zombie shot in his basement, which I'm down with that. Yes. But it's the, fine. The problem with the cutscenes is they're cool, but they serve no purpose to advancing right. the story. And yeah. that's the bummer is as I was watching them, I was having to like actively grapple with myself like this is cool. What does this have to do with the movie? Yes. Oh, yeah. Nothing. In some cases, it's like, what is this? Why did we just see this? It's almost like getting you ready for a commercial break. Yeah, kind of. You know, like it's a Wayne's World commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like there are elements of this movie that are really good. And then you get stuck with a cutscene, and you're like, okay, well, that chopped that up. Yeah. What, where are we now? You know? Well, I think this reinforces kind of the conversation we were having while we were watching that it's not so much a movie as it is a series of vignettes just kind of stitched together. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's absolutely one of the other benefits of this movie is that if you look at each individual scene and you say, you, like, this is a tableau. Yeah. Like Captain Spaulding's gas station that's a tableau yeah kids in the car separate tableau the house separate and you look at these in pieces without trying to kind of mash them together with the cop thing good it's good yeah and you mentioned like in talking about the set design you mentioned while we were watching it that's like a haunted house yeah it is which makes perfect sense because so Rob Zombie was originally making this film for Universal. My understanding is part of the reason he got the Universal deal for the film is that he had drawn and designed a pretty famous maze for them for Halloween Horror Nights. And Halloween Horror Nights was either completely done or had been greatly diminished by the late 90s, early 2000s. It was pretty small. It was not at all what it is today. Rob Zombie's maze was kind of the thing that reinvigorated Halloween Horror Nights and allowed it to become the absolute bananas destination. Like, you know, it's hard to get tickets and stay there and it's super expensive and you can't do all the mazes in one trip kind of a thing that it is today. And when you think about the fact that he designed a maze for Halloween Horror Nights and you think about this movie you're like this movie is just a giant it's a haunted house it's a it's a haunted maze it totally it's is. a series of of these like little tableaus it became really obvious to me toward the end we have our character walking through this like creepy tunnel of like spiderweb covered corpses and then she comes into this big room with this operation happening and it's like oh this is a haunted house. I know exactly what this is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the best haunted, like the, the highest production value haunted house you've ever been to in your yeah. life. The Dr. Satan scene, the, the scene that you're talking about, where Dr. Satan's doing this weird operation and he's got like this crazy yeah. spider like apparatus of like drills and saws and needles and stuff. Perfect. Amazing. 
arguably the coolest part of that movie. Oh, yeah. Totally. And it's wasted. We see him for like five seconds and then we never see him again. Yeah. Yeah. We see the the axe guy. I don't know what his name is. Yeah. I don't know the goggles name. or whatever. Chase her down the hallway for a while. Also very cool yeah. costume design. Yeah. We see those dudes for like 45 seconds total. Yeah. And I'm like, there's waste carrier than freaking baby and all the rest of them. I would much rather see a movie where like they get dropped down into a pit and then they have to like escape from these guys for Ooh, that'd be you fun. know thirty to forty five minutes versus like baby being a weird necrophiliac and Doctor Satan is almost Cenobite esque. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he'd be right at home, like in the uh, the labyrinth with uh, like in Hellraiser two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like a mashup of Pinhead. And the clockwork heart guy from the first Hellboy movie. Oh, yeah. Where yeah, he, yeah. like, replaced his heart with, like, a weird clockwork thing. Uh-huh. He's like that, where he's made, like, these weird mechanical modifications to his body so well, that he can... A little General Grievous, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's got four arms, so yeah. he can do more torturing. Cool. Like, really yeah. cool character. Yeah, great character design. Wasted. Yep. The 26 seconds that we wait for Bill Mosley to kill Walton Goggins' <laughs> sheriff character, could have used that, could have just reallocated that 26 seconds to cool characters. Oh, yeah. I really don't know why we didn't get more of that. It yeah. could have been so much better, like a better creature feature. Mm-hmm. Because they talk about Dr. Satan the whole friggin' time. Yeah. The sheriffs go in asking Captain Spaulding about Dr. Satan. Captain Spaulding tells the kids about Dr. Satan. For that not to be a bigger part of the movie was very disappointing. Yeah. But the creature design of Dr. Satan was very cool. Yeah. It does have that going for it. It does. Fun aside, I was working on a uh, horror short story a while ago back when I was actually like writing stuff. And it was supposed to be about a retired horror host. And I was asking my partner, I was like, are there any horror hosts named Dr. Satan? And he's like, um, that's a character from House of a Thousand Corpses. And I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Can't use that. Uh, Yeah. Boo. Yeah. Had totally forgotten. You know, another thing that this movie does have going for it, which I kind of keyed on to when we were towards the end of it. So this movie was filmed in 2000. It came out in 2003. What this movie does not have is, with the exception of Baby's Necrophilia, which, as I understand, in the uncut version is much more overt. Yes. And this, it's just kind of a like a cut scene. And it's almost like, oh, it doesn't even matter, you know? Right. Like, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. She's just, like, being weird with a skeleton a little bit. There's no sexual assault in the movie. Right. Which, that was a trope of early 2000s to mid aughts movies mm-hmm. is many of them and i'm thinking right off the top of my head uh house of a thousand or not house of a thousand corpses um i'm thinking of the hills have eyes yeah where the there remake. are like really graphic yeah. depictions of that happening and that ended up being a trope and this movie does not have that yeah which is pretty awesome actually it it's it's funny it's like we're so used to seeing it in horror films it like its absence becomes very obvious mm-hmm. you know especially horror films of that era and with two young women yes and like another um evil woman yeah like that that yeah. almost always is a thing where the men because there are several bad guys in this mm-hmm. movie 
end up having there there are scenes depicting that yeah and in this case there's not there's there is a scene where um our main heroine gets her bunny suit ripped off but other than that it's not meant to be lascivious she's wearing clothes underneath she's not nude that's the other thing is like there's always nudity almost always nudity right and in her case there's not there is some with sherry moon in another cutscene, but in her case there's no nudity and she's wearing clothes yeah and the men who take her bunny suit off don't otherwise assault her. Right. Yeah. Which I was like, wow, that's actually pretty surprising. Uh-huh. I mean, you can even go back all the way to, like, the first last house on the left. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the OG West Craven one. Yeah. That one is rough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Super rough. But looking back on the movie, I'm like, wow, this is this is a movie that kind of broke the mold for that. The other thing that it's missing is gratuitous drug use yeah which was was definitely a thing back then it's a thing that has endured in certain corners of modern horror as well but was a huge thing in the early 2000s yeah i was thinking of mandy yep and like panis cosmatos uses a lot of a lot of hallucinogens a lot of psychotropic drugs in his movies but he also, and the reason why I even thought of this is that I was like, oh, you know what? This is kind of lit like Mandy. Uh, yeah. And there's that scene. I forget what the, the technique is called, but it's like um, our heroine's looking down that same hallway and like physically the camera's moving forward and also zooming out. So you've oh, got yeah. that like strange, weird, like widening, you know? Yeah. That, that kind of stretching. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that happens here, and I'm like, you know, this would have been a really easy movie for them to, like, dose these kids. Yeah. And then do the things to them while they're dosed. Yeah. Because of the way that the lighting is. It's Mm -hmm. very, like, harsh, colorful lighting, very contrasty. But they don't do that. Yeah. Or on the same token, to have the kids either be consuming drugs the whole beginning of the movie or deciding when they're like oh we're gonna go find dr satan at the beginning like you know go to the place and do psychedelics and right. that, you know that kind of a thing yeah which is really out of character for movies of this time yeah like having a token stoner dude mm-hmm. or having like you know the bad guys dose are you know kids or whatever with psychedelics they didn't do that and i was like wow that's actually pretty surprising because it would have been very easy to do that oh yeah it would have just been another thing like oh let's torture them further and they didn't do that they made the choice rob zombie made the choice not to do that is he straight edge i don't know that's a good question i know that he's vegan so it would not surprise me okay because that would make a lot of sense if he was straight edge that would make Total sense. Isn't it weird that Rob Zombie and his wife, both hardcore vegans, like, I don't even think they eat honey type vegans, wow. made this movie. <laughs> make the movies that they make with, like, cannibalism and, yeah. you know, weird weird stuff like that. It's very strange. Maybe that's how they get it out. They're like, oh, I really want some bacon. No, let's make a movie about people eating people. <laughs> and now I don't want bacon anymore. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> 
I did read that in interviews, Rob Zombie has said out loud that he hates this movie. He thinks it's his weakest movie. And that every time he watches it, all he can see is all of the the bad things about it. And I argue that this movie is actually his best. This movie, yeah. That this movie has the least amount of all of the things that make the rest of his movies terrible. (laughs) Which I know that sounds like I'm blanket dissing on his movies. And and there are some that I have not seen. But like there are redeemable scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. There are scenes where the dialogue is good. Where things make sense. Where you're like, okay, I could get down with this. Yeah. But then it's like he watched all of that. And took the worst parts of the movie. He's like, no, no, no. That's what I need to double down on. I wonder if some of that was the fan response. Because this is another one of those movies where, you know, I hear people quote it all the time. And people have the shirts. And and people latch on to certain things about this movie. And I wonder if he basically took all of the things that people tend to latch on to. And then smushed them into, you know, his other movies. Which is really disappointing. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. And you mentioned earlier that you would like to see Rob Zombie make a film maybe where he directs it only. Yeah, I would. He's a competent visual director. I don't think he's the greatest storyteller. I would like to see him work with like a really good writer, like a screenwriter. Somebody like maybe like an Akila Cooper or someone who can tell like really good dynamic horror stories that like um Akila Cooper wrote um Malignant mm-hmm. which is why I thought of her because like Malignant is pretty off the wall like right. let's be real like that yeah. is that is a strange movie and the beats in it like it's one of those movies that starts out kind of serious and then goes like totally like bonkers yeah. like halfway through you're just like what am i watching i loved it and i think that me too i think that speaks to like his sensibilities and i think i would just like to see what he could do visually with that without having the kind of burden of the storytelling because i just feel like most of my disappointments with his films have to do with the storytelling and not the visuals i'm tired of the trashy family dynamics yeah you know i'm really tired of that and so i would really like to see a departure from that yeah i was trying to think of other writers that could work well with rob zombie with Uh like those visuals i'm struggling though but i think you're right i think malignant would have been a good one what about like co-directing with um ari aster oh my god (laughs) That would be wild. Like that one. I cannot even imagine. Like if that movie was about drugs, I would watch it because I'd be like, I need to know. Yeah. That would be weird. I mean, I would even like to see him work with somebody like James Wan. That that would be a good one. Yeah, Somebody who's just really, really, really solid and can make a, a range of films. You know, everything from your more traditional horror to your more out there stuff has worked in other genres too because you know James Wan has worked outside of horror. I would be interested in seeing him work with somebody like that who somebody who has written and directed, you know, but could be kind of a good partner to him. Yeah. I want to see a Rob Zombie Chucky film now. Oh. Like a la Bride of Chucky but different. Oh, like bring back Jennifer Tilly. That could be fun. Sherry Moon can't be in it. Yeah. 
And she certainly cannot be the voice or the laugh of Chucky because, oh my God. Oh, no, that'd be awful. No, no, no. We don't want that. I need time away from Sherry Moon's laugh. (laughs) I've been, raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by Sherry Moon's laugh. (laughs) In this movie specifically. Yeah, right. Now I now I want to see him make a Chucky movie, and I also would like to see him. We were talking about Lloyd Kaufman earlier. I think that'd be hilarious. Oh my gosh! Yes. To make like a horror comedy with Lloyd Kaufman. Somebody email Uncle Lloyd. Yeah. Hey, have you ever met Rob Zombie? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they know each other. Probably. It's really a small world. Yeah, honestly. it is. Everybody uh, knows Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> The babies, the babies are going to trip and fall. <laughs> what is it? People are going to be carrying babies and trip and fall over the cords. Mothers are going to be carrying babies and they're going to trip and fall on the steps. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's yes. right. If you have not seen the glory that is the making of Toxic Avenger 4, oh, it is. It's an odyssey. So fun fact, not to go on a whole like trauma <laughs> thing here, but the making ofs on the trauma DVDs are amazing they're their own like mini movies and they're stunning and my favorite is toxic avenger 4 god bless lloyd kaufman (laughs) yeah (laughs) lloyd kaufman had to crawl so that rob zombie could fly it's true (laughs) what are we doing next time i forget so next time our next episode is actually coming out on indigenous people's day so we're going to do an indigenous centered horror film this is one that you have seen and i have not i'm really excited to get to watch it for the first time we're going to be doing blood quantum i'm so excited and yet another shutter exclusive that we're featuring shutter if you're listening you could totally sponsor this podcast (laughs) Dear Shudder, we really like your movies. We watch you all the time. Also, if you got an in with Joe Bob, we're, we're our, listening. Our inbox is open. Yeah. And or Darcy. Please, yeah. please either. Slide or. into our DMs, Shudder. <laughs> yes, please. I'm excited for you to see Blood Quantum. I think you're really going to like it, especially as a zombie lover. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to it. I love a good zombie film. And I'm always excited to explore more media by indigenous peoples. We don't have enough of it that's kind of hitting the mainstream. Uh, We're starting to see more now. And there are some really good people doing some really good work. So I'm excited to check this one out. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. You can support this podcast and hear bonus episodes at patreon.com slash attackofthefinalgirls. We're Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.